Good morning, and welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. We're your hosts. I'm Erica. And I'm Abby. And today I'm going to tell you about the murder of Daniel Adape and David Dunn. So pour yourselves a strong cup of joe and let's dive in. We'll continue on with our content for this week's episode shortly, but first we wanted to take a moment to let you know about an opportunity to listen to even more Crime Over Coffee content. By signing up for a Patreon, you can receive ad-free episodes and additional content. To check out this opportunity and sign up for the Crime Over Coffee Patreon, visit www.patreon.com slash crimeovercoffeepod. Thank you again for all of your support. On January 4th, 2017, A deceased man was found near the intersection of Grand Central Parkway and South City Parkway in Las Vegas. Las Vegas Police Department arrived to the scene in the early morning and they find that the individual has died from head trauma. He's located in an empty lot near an intersection that was known to be a place that homeless people frequented. What they assumed was that the man had been killed in his sleep around 12.30 a.m. after being hit in the head with something like a hammer or another blunt force object. They eventually identify this man as 46-year-old Daniel Aldape, who was in fact a homeless man living in the area. From talking with people who knew Daniel, they said that he was a really good guy and that he was very loved and he just chose to live outside and he chose to be homeless. In their words, they can't understand why somebody would attack him or want to murder him because he just didn't really get into it with people or interfere with other people at all. So they were very surprised by this attack. So like I said, this happened on January 4th, 2017. About a month later, on February 3rd, around 9 a.m., the Las Vegas police were called to basically the same area. It was in the exact same spot, but it was in that same general empty lot at that intersection of Grand Central Parkway and South City Parkway. The reason they're called to this area is because another man was discovered murdered, and it appeared that he had died from similar injuries to that of Daniel. They pretty quickly discovered that this man was 60-year-old David Dunn. Other homeless people who had lived in the area knew David and they were able to tell police who he was. One of his friends who wanted to remain anonymous told police that he had walked by Dave and tried to talk to him and David just didn't move. He didn't even know there was anything wrong with David. It wasn't until another person came by and realized that he had been in fact murdered. Kit Mazarek, who was another person who knew David and had been friends with him for a very long time, described David as a very sweet and caring guy. Kit said that when they had met David, there was actually at a McDonald's nearby this area and David offered to buy Kit food and then didn't get anything. And when Kit asked David if he was going to buy anything, David just said, no, I'm like out of money. So basically, he spent his last money to buy Kit some McDonald's, and that just is an example of how caring he was. That takes a very selfless kind of person to be able to spend their last 
dollar on another person. No kidding. I thought that was so sweet. And at this point, they were strangers. I mean, that's how they met. Do we know how long either Daniel or David had been homeless at this point? Um, I'm not really sure. Um, I'm guessing it was for a while. There wasn't a lot of background on them. They were known in the area and they had been there for a while. This area actually is relatively known for the amount of homeless people that frequent it and live in it. I think I saw somewhere that Las Vegas actually has something like 6,000 homeless people that live in the area. Another person who was friends with David named Jimmy said that even though there were a lot of people living on the streets who were depressed, David was always there to make people feel better and that he was his best friend out there. So as you can tell, again, we have another man who is really loved and doesn't seem to be getting involved in anything too sketchy. And so it was really odd and out of nowhere that both of these men were murdered. At this point, police are pretty sure that the cases were connected. They were both homeless men sleeping in the same general area that were killed in the same manner. And it was within a month of each other. And they actually connect this with an attack that happened November, so a few months prior, where another homeless man in the area was attacked while he was sleeping. He was hit in the head, but he did survive. However, he never saw who had attacked him. There were no weapons left behind and nobody had witnessed the killings or the attack. And there was no surveillance video in the area. Another thing to know is nothing was taken from the men. They were both covered with blankets while they were sleeping and nothing was taken from them or their bodies. I have to say, I'm really curious who would just go around killing homeless people. So I kind of hope you have an answer for me at the end of this. And that's what was really concerning to police is that it seemed like there was really no motive in that maybe this was somebody who was basically getting off on the thrill of going and murdering people and they were afraid they had a serial killer on their hands, which at this point they've already murdered two, in theory maybe attempted a third. So they're pretty sure that the killer was going to strike again. They kind of canvassed the area and talked to other people around, but unfortunately no one saw anything. And what their concern was, was that many of the people who were in the area were homeless people and they really didn't have a way to even contact police if they knew something. That's a good point. Well, and you know, as I mentioned earlier, this area had a population of over 6,000 homeless people. And so they're canvassing the encampments and going to shelters, but it's still a lot of people to try to talk to. And especially when it might be people who don't want to have anything to do with them. And I feel like it's kind of hard at this point because... You don't have a whole lot of leads in this situation necessarily. Like, are they at this point kind of assuming that it's potentially another homeless person murdering? I think that was their assumption. The Las Vegas Police Department do mention in interviews during this time that there is a lot of homeless on homeless crime and that potentially that could be what they were looking for. And again, it's just even if that's the case, it's hard to really get an idea of what's going on in this area. Somebody heavily involved with this case is Captain Andrew Walsh of the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department. I read an interview with him through AETV, and that of course will be in our sources in our show notes so you can read the full interview if you'd like. But something that Andrew Walsh discusses was a plan that he devised to try and catch the killer. And it's a little 
odd in terms of it's not something you've really heard of before and or maybe you guys have but I had not and it was something he said he just kind of randomly came up with so basically what he decides to do is because they're pretty sure this person is going to strike again and at this point all the attacks have been within the same general area they were going to kind of set up a trap with surveillance to see if they could catch the guy attempting to murder someone else but instead of using a person they decide to use a mannequin that's an interesting tactic right so they decide to use one of the um like life-sized rescue cpr mannequins that they had for training at the police department basically what they were going to do is set up surveillance put the mannequin in that general area and they were going to cover it up with blankets and put a hat on it and made it look like it was just another homeless person sleeping and then meanwhile they have cameras up in the area to try to catch somebody and they're going to be canvassing and waiting i have to say i'm curious to see how this pans out for them right well it's really interesting and they even go in depth with it um before they put the mannequin out they kind of canvass the area because what they say is that a lot of the people the homeless people that live in this area have a routine so they're watching and seeing what areas they don't go in at what times of night. So that would be a prime spot for somebody to come and attack because in their minds, no one would be watching. They wouldn't be seen at all. So they get the mannequin and they actually ended up naming it Charlie McCarthy after puppet master Edgar Bergen's dummy, who used to, I guess, appear on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. And it was something that Andrew Walsh had remembered watching from his childhood. And I thought that was kind of interesting all the police officers would call him by charlie and they would take him around with him and it was kind of like another member of their team i think it's weird that they get this mannequin and then name him and they're like you're gonna get murdered like that's its (laughs) sole purpose but they wanted to give it a name it's a member of their team that they're gonna set out to get yeah murdered it was really funny reading the interview and reading how he referred to charlie mccarthy and it really does sound like it was another member of their team and i think it's something to be said that like in a profession that could be really dark they're trying to at least get something out of it like make it a little less i don't know if that's good or bad or what but it was just really interesting to read this brings us to february 22nd 2017. at this point the police have set up charlie mccarthy aka the dummy and they have a They have a camera mounted on a traffic light, like a traffic signal pole, so that it's watching the area. So if anybody approaches the dummy, they're gonna get it on camera. In addition, they're nearby watching the footage to make sure they can intervene and catch the person if they do see them. What they see is a middle-aged man in a hoodie pacing around the street corner for about 15 minutes back and forth and clearly kind of looking around to see if there were vehicles or pedestrians. He approaches the dummy and pulls up his hooded sweatshirt and pulls out a small sledgehammer, what appears to be a small sledgehammer and ends up being a four pound ball peen hammer. And he pulls it from a white plastic bag and just, you can, and this video is available online if you guys want to look it up. But he goes up and he hits the dummy in the head. Well, I think maybe we caught our guy. 
Also, I'm really surprised that this dummy worked. Just saying. Right. Well, and in, in, interestingly enough, something that I think it was, I think it was Andrew Walsh had said that he was pretty certain they would have to act fast because the person, whoever was going to hit the dummy would be able to tell that that's like a different feeling because it was basically like a rubber doll, rubber mannequin. And that's, that's not going to um, imitate the feeling of actually hitting somebody with a hammer. So they were ready and they rush in and they capture 30 year old Shane Schindler and they bring him into the police department. I'm excited to get to know the Shane Schindler and why he felt like he should be murdering homeless people. Well, it's funny that you say that. There is not a lot of information about him. What I could find was that he was a former resident of Bay City, Michigan. He claimed that he was homeless and that he um, had types of um, mental disorders. I think he mentioned schizophrenia and a couple other things. But other than that, at least I couldn't find any information on him. I'm sure it's out there, but after digging for as long as I did, I couldn't find any concrete information. So if you guys know, please let us know. But it appeared that he just was kind of this random guy who was basically a serial killer. What was he trying to get out of it? It wasn't like he was murdering for money. Was he just murdering to murder? Because he wasn't getting money or objects from them. Right. It it appears that he just was in it with the intent to kill, basically. He was one of those unfortunate people we hear about all too often, you know, doing a true crime podcast, that he just wanted to murder people and he got he got something out of it himself. Police charge him with one count of carrying a concealed weapon. And a judge set his bail at $50,000. And he is able to be released. And basically, what police are trying to do is say, hey, he had the intent to kill. It's an attempted murder. And his lawyer was like, no, it wasn't an actual person. So that shouldn't count. Oops. And when they had brought in Shane, he even said, oh, no, I, I knew it was a mannequin. Um, that's why I hit it. I thought it was funny. He basically said he saw it when he was walking around and he kicked it and knew it was one and blah, blah, blah. Police are like, mm, no, <laughs> we have it on video. There's no evidence that he ever went up to the dummy and kicked it first. So in theory, there's no way he would have known. So is he claiming that he also didn't kill David and Daniel? Right. He denies anything. Okay. So, uh, okay. Something I'm going to include in this, I only found it in one or two articles, so I'm not confident how accurate it is. But they do say that from his cell phone, they found two selfies of him laying on his back near where both Daniel and David were found dead. Um, so at this point, they assume that he's going back to the locations to kind of relive the crimes. So if you are a suspect for a murder, my suggestion would not would be to probably not go back and revisit the crime scenes because that is just making you look extra suspicious. If your goal is to not be suspicious mm -hmm. and take a photo. Yeah. Of okay. You there. I am more than happy that he did because it probably helped in getting him caught. However, that's not, I don't know. It, these people amaze me in their level of failing to think. That's the nice way that I'm going to word it. I think his 
thought process was that because he was attacking these people who were homeless, he probably assumed nobody would miss them and, you know, that police wouldn't look into it. But luckily for other people who lived in the area who could have been potential victims and for the friends and families of these two men, police were like, uh, no, we're going to look into this specifically because we don't want it to fall to the wayside just because they're homeless. And I really appreciated that because as we know, that's not the case in a lot of situations when it comes to investigating different people that get murdered or go missing. That's some great work on the police's part. No kidding. What they're at right now is can you actually charge somebody with attempted murder if the person wasn't a person, if it was a dummy? And basically, as I mentioned earlier, his defense attorney is like, no. So he appealed and was saying, you can't kill an inanimate object. So this charge is worthless, basically. I feel like this is one of the first times the judge has ever seen this in court. Where they're having to decide, like, is it illegal <laughs> to attack an inanimate object because you thought it was a real per- Like, how often does that come up? Right. I mean, well, and there's always, not always, but in some states, there's the intent to commit a crime. And that carries a charge. And that's, you know, that's what they're trying to go off of. However, you know, they're trying to say, you can't do that because it wasn't intent usually comes in where someone's going to go attempt a murder or go into a place to rob it, maybe backs out, but they know that they were going to go do it. And so this situation, as Erica said, is just an odd one where it probably doesn't come up often. So they're trying to figure out how are we going to navigate it? And the appeals court of Nevada basically agrees with prosecution and says that this was reason enough to charge him with attempted murder. And so they set the trial for August of that year, 2017. And it's at this point that Shane Schindler decides to take a plea deal. I'm curious to hear what his plea deal is. Well, I'll tell you and get your opinion and see what you think. But what he agrees to is to the attempt to murder charge, the intent to kill charge, um, saying that he had no idea that it was a dummy under the blanket. And... With this plea deal, it's agreed that he cannot face the charges of Daniel Aldape and David Dunn and the other man who was attacked. And part of the reason they offer this plea deal from the prosecution standpoint is because they are pretty sure he's probably going to kill again and they want to get him off the streets now. And there's just a lack of evidence that really actually truly connects him to the crimes of Daniel and David and the other man. They don't have any concrete evidence other than, you know, that he attacked the dummy in the same area in the same manner. But there's definitely some room for reasonable doubt if you were trying to push those charges on him. With this plea deal, so Shane Schindler pleads guilty to attempted murder. And on August 24th, 2017, he's sentenced to 8 to 20 years in prison. So my question for Erica is, do you think... That was the right move to go for the plea deal, even though he could be out as early as eight years. Was it the right part for like the courts to offer the plea deal or for him to accept it? For prosecution to roll with it. I feel like that's really short for murdering two people with the intent to kill at least at least two others, even though one was a dummy. Right. Like he still 
that one I get is really hard to prove. Also, like we mentioned, it's not something that frequently comes up in court. So I'm sure that they really didn't know how to address that necessarily. I wonder if they've put like laws into place and like regulations about that since then. But anyways, I feel like the eight years was a little short and it should have been, I don't know, like 15 or 20 years as the least amount. I mean, we're talking about murdering two people. It honestly probably should have just been in there for life. Well, and I'm sure too, the eight to 20 is probably like the minimum or maybe the min and max they could have done for the charge that he pled guilty to because he didn't plead guilty to actually murdering anybody just the intent to kill which i also so no i don't like that either (laughs) like i feel unless they had somebody else in mind or i'm assuming those other two cases that are still considered cold cases because they couldn't actually attach his name to it right i think they just kind of go I mean, I guess, yeah, they would have to. I'm guessing my interpretation is that at least for the families and the friends, the closure is there, that they're pretty sure they got the guy off the street. At the very least, this same exact crime didn't happen again. So I think their hope is that they have the right guy. But something I saw come up was, is eight years, say he is only in for eight years, is that enough time that he's not going to just come back out and murder again? I think it depends on the person and really what they do while they're in prison. Are they working on bettering themselves or are they just plotting another crime? Yeah. Well, I also wondered if maybe in a different area he had actually attacked somebody another time or murdered someone else and we just have no idea because it was in a different location. The, I mean, the reason they connected these ones is because they're all in the same area. So you had said that he potentially had like schizophrenia and some other medical conditions that's what he claimed or what he claimed was there any evidence to back that up did they talk about it any further is he getting any treatment in prison that we know of um i don't know his treatment is in prison there was nothing um that backed that claim up well i was just thinking you know if he is actually schizophrenic then that could be something that you know if they were to help take care of that help medicate him for that or help him process through appropriate ways to respond to his schizophrenic tendencies then they then i think that when he gets out of prison he'll have a higher chance of not committing crime again if he truly does have that diagnosis yeah hopefully the time in prison has will change his will change him assuming i mean i i should put in assuming that he is the one that committed these crimes i believe that he is person and and so do a lot of others but to be fair innocent until proven guilty but i think in this situation we can all say we're happy that he is no longer on the streets thanks to listening to this week's episode of crime over coffee you can find us on instagram at crime over coffee or on facebook at crime over coffee podcast where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com. All of our sources can be found in the show notes for each episode. If you would like, you can support us by going to anchor.fm slash crimeovercoffee. You can also support us by recommending us to friends and family, giving us a good review on Apple Podcasts, or subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.